Welcome to Women Wanting Women, where we explore topics that matter to women like us. We talk about being a woman, attracting women, and becoming more powerful women by developing more self-confidence and always reaching for the next level in our self-actualization. I'm your hostess, Jordana Michelle, lesbian love coach and matchmaker extraordinaire. And if you're interested in finding your soulmate so you can be best friends who learn and grow together and share dreams together and have adventures together and have amazing sex together, then also check out my website, womenwantingwomen.com, because it's packed with valuable free resources like my guide to quickly and easily eliminating rejection from your life, a class on the number one thing you can do to end your loneliness if you're single, a quiz to find out what qualities the woman of your dreams will find most attractive about you when you meet her, a quick guide to the five biggest mistakes most women make when coming out, and since I'm a great matchmaker and I might already be friends with the woman of your dreams, I also am offering everyone a free survey you can fill out so that I can keep you in mind as I meet amazing women just like you through the work that I'm doing in our community. All of that is free at womenwantingwomen.com. But before we go any further, I have a question. Can you imagine anything more confusing than being a mother married to a man and then suddenly and unexpectedly falling head over heels for your best female friend, having never been in a same-sex relationship before? Can you imagine having to navigate a separation from your husband plus a new custody arrangement from your kids while also learning to be in a same-sex female relationship for the first time? Well, in this episode, I interview Dr. Janelle, founder of Big Change of Heart, who is an expert relationship advisor for exactly this type of scenario. Not only has Dr. Janelle lived through this exact situation with her own partner, but she also went on to create a community around helping other women through the many challenges and struggles that inevitably arise throughout the process. And in this episode, Dr. Janelle shares her perspective on the unique challenges and frustrations for women who are living through this kind of big change. Dr. Janelle is a relationship advisor who specializes in working with female same-sex couples, divorced, remarried couples, and blended families, helping relationships thrive through massive transitions, including sexual preference shifts, divorce, and the complex challenges that arise in non-traditional lifestyles. So, without further introduction, I hope you enjoy this enlightening conversation with Dr. Janelle. Dr. Janelle, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, so um, let's just dive right in. Uh, talk to us about how it is that you came to do what you do and, and, and all of the work that you do. Sure, yeah. Uh, about six years ago, I was engaged to my high school boyfriend of almost 11 years when through a mutual friend, um, I met a woman who was also married to her husband. They had three very young children. Um, we thought we were going to be great friends. And we actually all hang out, the four of us as couple friends. And over time, we started to form a really, really strong connection. And we ended up realizing that there's a lot more going on than just friendship. Um, and within probably a couple months of knowing each other, we knew we had fallen in love with each other. And we ended up both um, leaving our male partners to be together. Um, and about 
six years ago, it, this May actually will be our anniversary. We got married last May, so we've been married for almost a year on our five-year anniversary. And, um, you know, we've had quite an evolution of our personal relationship as well, sort of dealing with the co-parenting and all of those pieces. Uh, but what's really been one of the most fascinating aspects is the part where, you know, we both were with women um Sorry, excuse me. We both are with women now, obviously, but we uh, were with men before. And my wife had been with a woman before, but I had not. And sort of kind of teasing apart how that has uh, affected our experience, certainly. And so I actually started writing about our story. And when I started writing, I started finding other women that were going through similar circumstances. And so I started um, building my relationship advising business around helping women who are in the same situation where they're either still married or, um, you know, are just separating from a husband or a male partner to be with a woman. And um, that's currently what I do for my work. Because it's really um, super confusing because for, for, for so many of us, we're not raised given the concept that, that we even have the option to be with a female, right? We have these male, you know, even, even myself growing up, I, the idea that I could like girls was never even on the table for, you know, the first, I don't know, 20 years of my life. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I certainly have a very different experience than my wife on that front. My parents met doing theater. Um, and so I grew up with lots and lots of sort of gay aunts and uncles that were my parents' friends. And so it was very much in my life from pretty much when I was born. My mother's best friend growing up was a gay man. So he was Uncle Tommy to me forever. He actually passed away of AIDS in the early 90s. So a lot of these circumstances were, were very much around. Um, and so I never felt that there was any issues in my family about sexual orientation whatsoever. Did I have a lot of, you know, there's still you're around our culture, which is there's still all the books are about moms and dads and things like that, of course. So I'm sure I was still, you know, inundated with the general norm of heterosexuality. But I definitely felt like there was no issues with sexuality when it came to how I was being raised and in my particular family. Um, for my wife, it was certainly different. Um, she grew up in the Midwest, she grew up in Michigan. And um, even though, you know, she was sort of your typical kind of tomboy, I guess <laughs> she was very athletic, still is. And her parents were not religious. They're both educated. So this wasn't a religious issue. But when she was about 19, she told them that she thought she might be gay. And they, you know, completely panicked, freaked out, said they would stop paying for college, took, would take away her Jeep. Uh, they kind of, you know, your lifetime movie trifecta of like awful reactions. And, um, you know, so she basically moved to Massachusetts for Michigan at that point to kind of get away from her parents. So we have very different experiences with whether or not it's okay to like girls or even that that's really an option. Um, and so for me, it was something that I always knew as a possibility, but hadn't actually done until I met her. I will say that growing up from about the age of nine to 15 or so, I went to an all girl sleepaway camp. And I realized as I started to get older that the entire staff was all gay because who else wants to spend their entire summer with only women? Usually that would make sense for, you know, adult women that most of them anyway would like to be with their, you know, partners or anything like that or just or it's like a dating pool, honestly. 
And so I started to get really close to some of the counselors. You know, I was at the end of this where I was no longer really going to be a camper. And we talked a lot about sexuality. We talked a lot about, you know, sort of the idea about liking both or being open to both. And I was a kid who just was like obsessed with love. I wanted to find love any way possible. I loved the big romantic love stories. Um, I saw Titanic eight times, I think, in the theater. I had to pay the last two times and all change. I just wanted that big love story. And so uh, I was really open to, however, I always would say, I don't really care how it shows up. I just want it to be there. And so when I was, I think, 14, I had two really close female friends I'd met through this camp. One of them was sure she was gay. One was pretty sure she was bi. And I was sort of like, I didn't really have a label, but I thought I'd be open to anything. And because we wanted labels for each other, we came up with the most sort of ridiculous name looking back that we probably doodled on every notebook. Uh, but we were by riders one, two, and three. And that had something to do with the fact that I think we were kind of teasing that line of, you know, we weren't just your heteronormative, you know, high school girls. And funny enough, the girl who was sure she was gay is now married to a man and has a baby or two kids. And um, the girl who was thought she might be bi has been with a woman for a really long time. And then me, of course, I was, you know, the last in line to kind of jump on that. And I've been with my wife for about six years. So that was kind of my experience leading into actually meeting my wife. And um I have so many questions about all of this. Um, trying to, so it sounds as if for you, you really, this like question of no label, um, you know, you talk about there was the norm of heterosexuality, but, but there was still, even from a young age, the possibility that, that your sexuality could be fluid. You're saying that was something that you were totally in touch with since at least 14, but, but probably even earlier than that. Yeah, I mean, I certainly did not have that language. I would not have ever been able to say that my sexuality was fluid back then. But I now that I have that language, I think that's exactly what it was. Uh, I think I just was really not wanting to shut any doors. Like I used to have this, you know, what if the person that you met already walked in your room and you weren't paying attention or, you know, so it was sort of like I didn't want to limit the ability to have that like amazing connection with somebody by saying I am only this or I'm only that. And so, I mean, yeah, in many ways, I think that is, of course, speaking directly to gender, excuse me, to uh, sexual orientation being fluid, not gender. My gender has not been fluid. <laughs> um, but I do think it really resulted in me actually more than anything becoming the person that other people felt comfortable coming to, to talk about their own sort of sexual orientation questions because they knew I was someone who wanted, understood it, and two, was open to anything, which meant I wasn't going to judge them on whatever they were going through. Because there's so much judgment around it, um, especially, um, you know, it's 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 almost the people who have you know no labels get judged. I mean, there's judgment no matter what, right? If you have a label, you get judged. If you refuse to label yourself, there get judged. It's funny how there's so much. Um, do you find that? Um, oh, absolutely. It's actually being. In the regular world, if you will, the label seems to be less of an issue than inside sort of the LGBT world, where plus, uh, where, you know, I always kind of joke that I'm the plus, but I think what I started doing a lot of outreach and a lot of um, advocacy around, as I call it, the, the rainbow community at large, especially locally for myself. And there's an organization where um, volunteers from the local community go to, you know, high schools, colleges, businesses, and talk about our experience as being members of the LGBTQ plus community. And um, at the training, even the first thing you do is go around and say your preferred pronouns to kind of, you know, deal with your gender and then your sexual label, your sexuality label. And 
And I always sort of get looked at as this weird or either like a not serious uh, member of the community when I basically say I don't use a label. Um, but I, I always will say, but I am in a relationship with a woman. And it is it is more of a uh, issue, I think, within the community that I don't use a label or don't uh, specifically ascribe to labels in general. And uh, for me, it's always been a little bit difficult because I went from one long-term relationship with a man to one long-term relationship with a woman. And so people would ask, well, if you were single, who would you date? And I would, I guess I would always say, I don't know, I would see, but I, that's sort of to me where the label kind of falls flat is I don't really need a label right now. I'm, I have a wife, like that's my label. I'm like, I'm married, you know, I don't really need to talk about my sexuality beyond that. Right. There's something convenient about that. Like it's not, um, like you get, it's, it's kind of like you can, I think if you were dating, it might be a little bit harder, um, just because of making someone else feel safe in their relationship with you. Um, to some extent, just knowing, you know, or I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I, I think, um, women are funny. People are funny, uh, about that. There's a lot of fear of being left. There's a lot of fear. I think, I guess that's really what it is, right? What is, what do you, well, I don't know. You tell me, what do you think underlies people's strong desire for another person to have a label? What do you think that's about? I, I mean, it's a lot of different aspects, and it really depends on who and when you're talking about the sort of need for a label. I think absolutely in high school, when you're young and you know that you're not the typical sort of heteronormative kid, having a label is super comforting and empowering. Um, it can also help you find other people that are like you. And you're obviously not talking about marriage when you're 14 and 15. So it really is about finding people that are willing to entertain something that you have considered. So I think then it's really huge. Like if I, I was always the ally in high school, but I think now it would have been more, I don't know what I would have necessarily used as a label, but I think it would have been really helpful. Um, right. Helpful think, for finding community. Yeah. I think, I think that's truly, of course, what it's always helpful for and feeling like you have a place where you belong. Um, I think a lot of people struggle with that inside the LGBT community. And so finding a label is, can be really helpful for those people. In the case of, you know, myself or my wife and most of the women I actually work with, it, we don't feel like we fit into the labeling system. You know, there's a few, there's, you know, some of the women I work with say, that they came out, you know, that they realized later in life that they'd either always been a, a lesbian and knew that um, and had either hidden it or pushed it away or didn't want it to be true. Uh, that is, there is a small percentage of women I work with that definitely fall into that category. Um, and lots of reasons there, of course, some of them religious, some of them because of their family reactions. That's why they sort of tried to live the normal quote unquote life. Um, but a lot of other women didn't really have much thought about it either way. They just kind of went along and did the traditional life. And then all of a sudden met someone and were like, Oh my gosh, like I have the most amazing connection with this woman. I wasn't expecting that. I don't really feel like I'm a lesbian, but I also am with a woman. And so I kind of have to move into that space of knowing that I now am a woman in a same sex relationship. Many of them have kids. And so, you know, kind of bringing your kids up in that environment is totally different than bringing it in, in a heterosexual relationship. It's, uh, it's really interesting, um, especially later in life. And I, and I love the name of your, and that's, and that's kind of where you focus, right? That's kind of your sweet spot, the name of your, uh, of your Facebook group and, and of the work you do. You call it Big Change of Heart. Is that right? That is correct. Yes. Um, and actually it was coined by my, a friend really came up with it who was my co-host on my podcast originally. That's how we came up with the name. And it was really originally meant to sort of talk about, 
a really big change that you sort of made in the name of love. And we had the co-host originally together because she also left her longtime boyfriend for a much older man who she's been married to for, you know, eight years now. But it, for her, it was a, also a big change of heart, but in a different way. Now, over time, the, the term has really gotten synonymous with that sort of leaving a, a man for a woman or at least wanting to be with women in the future. And that that's really the big change that we talk about. And that is absolutely where I spend my my time. I really I write a lot to connect with women in this space because it is one of the most isolating and alienating experiences that these women can go through, especially if their entire life they've been with men and it looks like they're living this sort of heteronormative traditional lifestyle and then they want to change all of that. A lot of people in their life do not respond well to that. And so it's a really big challenge. I want to jump. I want to really dive into that with you because it, it is such um, it's such an important topic, uh, especially. So let's talk about this isolating and alienating, alienating experience and moving from a heteronormative lifestyle into um, being in a same-sex relationship. Um, how, so when women first find you, where are they usually at in life? Um, I would say at this point, most of the time, it's where they are, they have fallen in love with a woman and they're probably still either with their husband and have not even told them they're separating or they've just talked, like told their husband or male partner and are starting that process of entangling. And what is, where are the husbands usually? So like, this is so, first of all, how would they even find this woman that they fell in love with? Like, where does it? Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's not, no one obvious, no one, not a single person in this place really went looking for anyone, right? You're, you're supposedly happily married and you think you are for most ways. I mean, many of these marriages are not great. They're okay with their male partners. They're not fulfilled. And that's sort of why this happens. But it's usually just women that are, you know, either have been in their lives, um, in some capacity and they just were close friends or they meet under kind of mutual friends. Uh, but it's usually been, there's a lot of people that meet at work. Um, you know, I, we met through a mutual friend. So things like that, where there's nothing that was expected to happen there, but it, that's sort of where it's sort of regular life. Like someone who is on your team for something, a fundraiser, you know, it's literally anything. These are not women that are often going out looking for anything in there. So they're not dating necessarily. Right. It's not, it's not dating, which is so funny. Um, and I want to keep going into this, but for me, I came out single alone and was just like, where can I find someone? And right. I was super envious of the, of the situation where it kind of comes to you and you don't have to sort of be flailing alone, saying, yeah. you know, all alone, vulnerable, scared, not knowing what to do and not having a partner. I, I thought that was more, way worse, but really looking at it from this perspective, this sucks. You know, all of a sudden you're in a long-term relationship with a husband that you've built a life with and you're head over heels for somebody else. Um, so let's dive right into that. Let's just keep going. Right. So they're not looking for it. You know, either they have, they're become close friends or they have mutual friends or they're at work or they're at a fundraiser and it's totally unexpected. These are not women who are out dating and they, they like, how, how does that even happen that they fall in love? You know, cause like, is there, uh, do it does they, depend on women and so if any, if either of them have had any experience with women before, I think that really kind of directs the way that the emotion goes. Uh, it also certainly matters if one of the women knows that the other woman is gay, you know, so if she has a feeling that one of them is into women then you can kind of pick up on like, Oh, I think she's into me or I kind of have a crush on her or whatever. But for a lot of the women where it's new territory for both of them, it actually takes a little bit of time to figure out that that's what's going on usually because 
we never experience anything like that. You know, we kind of go about friendships and this and that. Um, you know, my wife will tell me all the time that she knew she had a crush on me pretty much like within five seconds of meeting me, which like I had, I did not feel that. I just thought she was somebody I wanted to get to know better, but I didn't know that that's what it was. It was leading down a romantic path. But she knew and she was able to sort of direct it that way because of her prior experience. You know, she was very sort of, uh, you know, gun shy for a while in a sense, just because of her parents' reaction. So we really just formed a friendship at first. And again, like I said, her husband and my fiance, the four of us hung out. We thought we were going to like do things together as couples. Like as much as, you know, she wasn't necessarily happy and fulfilled in her marriage. I don't think she had ever at that point had any intentions of leaving it or to finding someone else. So, you know, she just kind of had this, I think, a little bit of nagging in her mind about the fact that she had more interest in women. Um, and she'd kind of tried to shut that away, I think. And also hadn't really met the woman that I think she would want to kind of change her whole life for. You know, I, I get to be the lucky one on that. Um, but, you know, it was a it does for, you know, I, I'm working with a couple right now who said, you know, it took them a while to figure out that they were really, you know, basically in love with each other. They thought, you know, they were just friends. They were close friends. They were friends that like to do a lot of like stuff together and hang out and spend all their time together. But it was like, it just takes a while. I think when you're not super clear on that part of yourself, because we've all had, or many women have had close friendships. And of course, the only thing that really differentiates is the sexual piece, right? So I have very, very close female friendships that I, you know, I'm just as close with in some ways, uh, you know, emotionally, I suppose, as I am with my wife. But of course, the, the intimacy piece that you'd have with your partner is, to, is that's why it's such a different relationship. And so before you have that, you can just be like, oh, we're just friends. And you can kind of explain away the pull towards each other as being anything more than that. I think once you have that first kiss or anything like that, then you really start to see that there's something else going on. How does the line get crossed? Uh, I mean, again, totally differs for everyone. Um, I would be lying if I said that alcohol wasn't most often uh, involved in these cases. Um, I think just because of nerves, not in a, not that people are not aware of what's going on, but more of just the, you know, social lubricant. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, I think it's just sort of uh, all of a sudden a, I want to kiss you feeling. Either someone says that or someone kisses. Um, and they just kind of feel the other person out to see, like, did did that totally freak you out or do we want to keep doing this? And most of the time in the cases, I've actually yet to meet someone who the reaction was no. You know, in the women I work with, this is the person that they really fell in love with. So it was a very mutual feeling. So when you say that totally freak you, what did you, you say? No, it means no, it didn't totally freak me out. No, meaning I just don't feel that way about you. Like, I really did just think we were friends. You know, I think in many ways, you know, women are are generally pretty intuitive about our connections with people. So if it is a really strong, deep connection, we're, we probably didn't make it up, you know, in the sense of unless we, you know, we're like a stalker or something. But the women that I tend to work with, these are clear friendships that have gotten really deep where you've shared a lot with each other, where you spend a lot of time together, where you talk a lot. You know, I was certainly talking to my wife, you know, six years ago, more than I was even talking to my fiance at the time and just sharing a lot more and excited to tell her more of what was going on in my life than I was with my fiance. And same for her and her husband. Like you just have a different pull towards somebody when you're starting to feel that there's a really deep connection forming. Um, but the, and so then it's then the question of how that line gets crossed where there's that pull of intense friendship crosses the line into the intimacy what you called the sexual piece where the friendship can no longer be explained away. Right. And 
I mean, this is a lot of the places where, you know, we all will say none, none of us are necessarily proud of this part. I mean, obviously, the, the best scenario obviously would be untangling your life from your male partner and then, you know, pursuing a woman. But that's not the way life really works most of the time. So there is an overlap. And oftentimes that cross that that line getting crossed is a physical line. And, you know, there is in that sense, some amount of, you know, starting another relationship while you're still in one. Um, you know, some people have to do this longer than others. Some people do it like, no time at all before they end their other relationships. Uh, some people are able to end their relationships before anything physical happens, but they're just both aware that they know they have those feelings. That's definitely the, the most uh, rare, <laughs> but I, I do think it, it can happen. Obviously, I think it's just hard that I don't think a lot of women realize it's what's happening until that physical line has been crossed. And then they sort of have to go from there to navigate what they want to do. Right. And so then once that physical line gets crossed, which maybe they weren't even expecting, now all of a sudden we're in the territory of cheating. We're in the territory of, of being the other woman, of like kind of navigating an affair, the question of when are you leaving him? Are you leaving him? Like all of that. And then not only... Because that always complicates things when you're kind of the other woman in a relationship. Yeah. Um, it's also less safe. Your love becomes less safe, right? Because if you don't know, is, is that, am I, am I correct in pointing this yeah. out? No, absolutely. I mean, I think there's a lot. I mean, most of the time in these cases, once it happens, it's sort of like, okay, like we know we have these really strong emotions. We have these really strong you know, feelings for each other. And now what are we going to do about it? Um, and it's not like in most of these cases, the decision can be made overnight. You know, it's usually there is a process, you know, I mean, whether it's because of divorce or, you know, figuring out a way to tell the, the male partner and then untangling your life. I mean, it is it is a long process full of a lot of transitions. And that's probably one of the number one things I really work with with my clients is helping them start those conversations and not get stuck because, they don't want to be in that life, but they don't know how to get out of it. And they don't want to hurt if there's kids involved, especially younger kids, if they don't want to have that, you know, their lives totally uprooted if, if it's not the real thing. And so it is, it is tricky there to kind of navigate through. Um, and it's a weird thing because a lot of the men, once they find out about a woman, they often, they're angry in the sense of like, how did we, I not know that you were into, into women. So they, they take it that way. But then they also sometimes feel less threatened by it because, you know, they don't have to sort of, there's nothing they could change about themselves to fit in, to make it better. Basically, like if in their mind, they can tell themselves, Oh, you wanted a woman. I was never going to be a woman. So like I couldn't have made our marriage work anymore. And while that's almost never the full piece, I mean, I think I know one client who knows that if she wasn't into women, she would have stayed with her husband and been happy. But it's purely that she wants wanted to date women. She didn't she hadn't met a woman. She just knew she wanted to be with women. Um, that's more of the kind of classic sexuality piece of coming out in a sense. Um, but I do think for everybody else you know, there is obviously a lot of challenge in that, that piece with the male partners. You know, if you're not married, it's a lot easier. Obviously, if there's no kids. It's a lot easier. Like in my case, I was engaged, but there was no kids. And, you know, the hardest thing for me was that I broke off our engagement two days before I defended my doctorate and less than a month before we were supposed to be closing on our first house. So there was a lot going on, but nothing that couldn't be easily sort of, in a sense, walked away from. So, 
right? Once you have marriage and once you have kids, once you have a marriage and you have to go through the courts, once you have kids, forget it. Um, and it's so interesting, you know, you, you said it quickly, but I think it's a really important piece, this question of, is this the real thing? You know, mm-hmm. when you meet someone, um, you know, in, in any relationship, there's no guarantee. So to walk away from something so solid um, into this unknown, especially if it's an unknown where you haven't been with women before um, and kind of following emotions, can you get, get into that? Because that sounds to me pretty like a pretty intense question. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a little bit different than having to figure out your sexuality um, for most of, again, the women I work with, like I said, there are a few that it's really more about their overall sexuality and realizing like I have a few clients that have said they sort of knew that they had feelings for women their whole life and pushed it away. Um, but there's something about the, the, like the individual relationship that we're talking about, right? So this meeting, this particular person at this time, there's such a connection they know they love each other. They know they want to be together that they will be willing to kind of help each other get through all the madness of, you know, getting divorced or whatever it needs to be. And it's just almost never questioned for some reason that it's not real, you know, and it, and it to be, you know, in to give them credit, like, and they're right. You know, it's I, none of these couples, I mean, almost all the couples I know have gotten married or are married um, or get, or engaged, you know, that these are serious relationships and they're not just, oh, I think I might like women. I'm not sure. Let me leave my husband and then actually realize I didn't really want to do that. Like nobody has been in that boat. Um, right. So and, it sounds a little bit different than your typical cheating where like, let's just say you're with one part, you know, two partners are together one partner falls in love with someone else and the question of are you going to leave that former partner and I think wrapped up in that is is this new partner the real thing right that this actually is a little bit more uh, sturdy yeah there's something about sort of like I mean and you'll hear a lot of the similar language with these women but I mean there's something about it feeling just like a rebirth or the true like a true relationship that was always what they should have sort of been in and there's something about it that feels more more honest and like they can really be them real selves in all the ways and they're so fulfilled in a way they've never been before and it's for so many reasons of course it's the individual relationship absolutely and then there's other pieces where for so many of these women, they're sort of going through the motions of the traditional life and doing the thing with the kids and the husband and the picket fence and whatever. And none of it's making them feel worthy. Like none of it makes them feel fulfilled. And so when they get all that they're supposed to have, you know, the kids, the dog, the house, whatever, and they still feel blah, they're questioning, you know, what am I missing? And so when they meet this woman who like completely changes that feeling where they could live in a shack in the middle of the woods and be bankrupt for the rest of their lives and still feel fulfilled, it's such a different experience. And it's not, it's not really about women. It's about this woman, you know, so it's a very different kind of experience. Right. But also, um, if a woman realizes if it is about her overall sexuality, then that in some ways can even make it easier to leave the man because it really isn't about, it's not even about the one woman. It's about, you know, that, that, that the man isn't going to make her feel satisfied, which is a whole other thing. Yeah. I mean, I think, and again, it's different for every person, but you know, I know that there's several women who've gotten divorced who say the likelihood that they would ever be with a man again, even if, if their, you know, partner right now, their female partner like tragically died, they probably still wouldn't go back to being with a man. So it is a little bit of both. I think it's a little bit of, it's hard to imagine another partner because of the love that's there, but that 
it's unlikely that you'd necessarily go back to the heterosexual lifestyle you had before. Um, there's certainly some women that identify as being bi, so that's a little bit less complicated for them because they know that they have a romantic interest in both men and women. And so if something were to happen to their current partner, it sort of just depend on whoever they met next that they connected with. For most of the women that I deal with, it is it is a little bit more complicated than that. And so it tends to be more about, I really don't know what would happen if I wasn't with my partner because it was so much about that relationship. And I don't know what that means next. But I will say, I mean, for women that have never been with women before their new partner, I think that they would certainly always entertain a woman in the future if something were to happen. So it's not like this woman was the only woman and they're going to be with men other than that. You know, I I do think it opens up a different kind of door in that sense. But what's so, so interesting, it's sounding to me like that your practice is so much about kind of steering these women from one long-term relationship directly into another long-term relationship. Um, yeah, I mean, it's so unique and interesting. It is, and it's not something I ever would have thought to necessarily be, I mean, the bottom line is that this was my personal experience. So I wrote about it and I shared it openly because people always were asking questions anyway, and I'm a writer by nature. So it was something I was happy to do. And when I started finding women that were in similar positions or just starting out in those situations and feeling like we don't know how to do this. I mean, I never would have thought that my work would have turned into helping women sort of untangle their lives to be with their, you know, female love. But I think there are no rules here and there's no guidebooks and there's no way to know how to do this. And not to say, certainly I don't give advice to say, do what I did because we didn't always do it right either. Um, and I actually think a lot of what we didn't do well, I can give advice as to how to do better to other people now that I've been through it. And would you, you know, be able to share of, some ex- examples of what that is? Cause that's, I mean, I didn't yeah. want to interrupt, but that, that was just too good of a question to miss. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, every, you'll hear everyone say, well, my situation is a little bit strange. I mean, or, you know, a little bit weird or a little bit this, a little bit different, but every situation is different. And our sort of strangeness certainly has dealt, has changed over the years in what are kind of interesting aspects of our dynamic. So when we first uh, started, my wife's at the time, husband knew about it right away, literally because he walked in on us kissing later, like the night that we first kissed. So there was no having to tell him what was going on. Um, with my fiance, I waited a, a week or two based on what uh, my wife and her at the time husband wanted because they didn't really know him that well. And they were worried about how he might react and if he'd be angry and they had kids and blah, blah, blah. So we waited a little bit and then I broke off the engagement. I was like, you guys, I mean, he's my ex is like the most passive person on the planet. So I knew it would be fine. And it was And about a week after I ended the relationship. I did tell him about my wife and he, he knew. I mean, we were all again, he, we were friends. He wasn't surprised, you know, whatever. He definitely but was. How long before. were you friends with her before? Because it's sounding like. Oh, he walks in during your first kiss. Then a week later, you left your husband, you know, and everyone, everything was wrapped well, up so quickly. But how long was the build up? It was up? not wrapped up quickly. So, yes, yeah, so that's what I was going to say. So what's been strange. So we met in, I guess, technically, I will say, like, late March at a bachelorette weekend for our mutual friend. And this all, and then our, we, our kiss is also, we always, it's our anniversary of everything. But it was May 26th. So it was about a few months later. Um, and we, you know, over that period of time, uh, the mutual friend got married in Puerto Rico and it was a, like a destination wedding for a week. So we spent a whole week together there. And then we also like saw each other before and after that. And the Puerto Rico would have been nicer if we weren't there with our 
you know, husband and fiance. So it was all the couples. Um, but we got, that's actually really where we got to get really close though, just because we were hanging out and like both of our male counterparts would go to bed earlier than us. So we'd like stay up late talking and texting. And when we got back from the trip that continued and we, we saw each other a lot. Um, and then Memorial Day weekend, that May 26th, we, we hung out just the two of us because her husband was out at the bachelor party for a friend. And he ended up coming home late and we were basically, you know, we, we were kissing. And so, and he wasn't angry. So this is where things get weird for us, where I always say, so for the first four and a half years of our relationship, which is obviously the majority of it since we've only been together about six, her now ex-husband was, we were very amicable with, like he was okay with it. He wasn't angry ever. He was sad about his life flipping on its head. But he was never angry, bitter, hostile, nothing. In fact, we all lived together for about six months as we transitioned like him out of the house and then we moved to a new house. But we were really close and he basically, you know, a little bit panicked when everything happened in the sense where he had us take care of the kids full time and he kind of saw them occasionally when he felt like it, but he wasn't really caretaking, which he wasn't anyway. You know, my wife was a stay at home mom at the time. Um, and they, the kids were twin boys that were one at the time and a daughter that was almost four. So we're talking all day, every day in the house. We were there together, the two of us, because I worked out of the house anyway. So that untangling lasted a long time. And that is not rare, right? So a lot of these cases, the sort of divorce process and the figuring out what's right for the kids, it takes a while. In our case, we were able to be together through all of that. And, there, and it was fine because her ex didn't care. And, um, you know, we moved to a new house and probably by the time we moved to that house, um, he started dating and he met his now wife, uh, but they still chose to live like an hour away. So they didn't really see the kids at all. Um, there were a couple like year and a half later, they would see the kids a little bit more, but then they like moved again. So we still, you know, for four and a half years, we had full custody of the kids and it was her and I together all the time. Um, about a year and a half ago, her ex bought a house with his wife five minutes from us and asked for 50 50 custody. And that's when everything kind of shifted. And we have this weird reverse thing. where now their choice. We don't really know why things are no longer amicable and are very hostile. And uh, which is usually, I think it kind of goes the other way where the husband starts off, you know, angry or bitter or whatever. And then over time you can kind of work on a relationship and have more an amicable co-parenting dynamic. If there's kids, obviously if there's no kids, you don't really have to deal with each other anymore. Um, so we have that kind of weird reversal of the situation, I think. Has it died down at all or he's still angry? Um, it's, I, I wish I could. I don't know. I mean, yes, no, it hasn't changed. We've attempted many times between him and his wife to say we'd like to make things um, more positive to no avail. Um, you know, a lot of it's they decide in the last year and a half, I think that, you know, I'm a bad person or I bring something. It's just a very strange thing. And again, this is where I say it's all very individual. So our dynamic has shifted, even though we were the ones caretaking with the kids all this time and keeping them, you know, alive and healthy and well. Um, all of a sudden now there's, you know, another woman in the picture, obviously she's been, you know, they've been together since 2000 and 13, I think, end of 2013, but not very much in the kids' lives until about, you know, two years ago. Um, and so it's just been, it's an evolution. I mean, you really don't know. It is, it is complicated and there's a lot of, um, challenges with, you know, they're now a mother father household and we are obviously two mothers in a sense. So it's a different dynamic and our kids are super comfortable with it, but, you know, they're 10 and almost seven now or almost 10 and almost seven. And, 
they're, this is what they know. So that's been fine, but it is, it is harder with people that don't, you know, my wife's parents, we don't speak to them. Um, they, we've tried for years, but they're still very, um, small minded and negative and, um, really damaging. And so we've kind of had to cut them out. And that happens a lot with women in these circumstances where whether it be a friend, the ex, a parent, that someone who's not willing to expand their idea and open their mind and be positive, you know, you can't have that kind of toxicity around you all the time. It's just not healthy for anyone. And you really do have to protect yourself and your life from people that are going to be very negative all the time. Yeah. Um, I, and you brought up so many interesting points. So in terms of what you didn't do right, because you were saying you didn't do it right, what do you think could have been better that you could have done differently? Yeah, I mean, I do think that probably earlier on um, we should have put some clearer boundaries up. I know there was a lot of fear around what was going to happen with the kids in this case, where I know, you know, my wife was worried about, she was a stay at home mom. She didn't have an income and she was kind of at his mercy. And she was worried about saying like, I want this or, you know, let's put this in writing or anything else for a little while. So the word divorce wasn't mentioned for like three or four months into maybe, maybe less, maybe like three months. Um, into the, the relationship and the situation, even though we were kind of living together, all three of us in a sense, but it was sort of like, we'll just see what happens. And I, I don't recommend that at all. You know, I really do think that once they're, you know, it's never, it's like the ripping off a bandaid concept where it's always going to be a, a hard conversation. It's going to be, you're going to hurt people you care about without wanting to because of the choice you're making. And it's just going to be really difficult in the beginning, but prolonging that is not prolonging the pain. It, I mean, it is prolonging pain, but the pain is inevitable in the sense of you, you're just letting things kind of sit in this weird, vague, ambiguous place where no one's healing, no one's moving on, and no one's able to start a new chapter because everything's still overlapping and, you know, mixed up and not clear. So I definitely recommend, you know, being really clear up front about where the sort of line should be drawn, how life is going to look, and really trying to separate in many ways, like one life from the other, because it's really painful for everybody involved if those boundaries aren't drawn early on. I think this is great uh, advice. Um, I'm just writing it down um, because it's very, very wise. So the idea of, um, of you know, when you think that you're avoiding what's hard, you think you're avoiding pain by not having the hard conversations, but actually the pain is inevitable. And when you don't face it, it stays ambiguous. And when you don't have clear boundaries, when you don't rip off the bandaid, when you don't separate one life for another, it leads to worse problems. So yeah. the, the good advice being uh, really just make those clear cuts. In, if, even if it seems like it's the harder road, um, it actually, in the long run, it is the easier road. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing easy about it, certainly. But I think one of the things I talk to my clients with a lot about is the concept of the sort of the fear of the unknown. You know, I don't know how he's going to react. I don't know how my kids are going to cope. I don't know. But the thing is, you don't learn anything by sitting in the I don't know. So you still don't know. You're just making that continue and continue and continue. And rather than taking the steps to move forward, where you can start to figure out, oh, this is how my husband's reacting. And here is how my kids are dealing with it. Now I know how to respond to that based on actually seeing what's happening. I mean, 
we do build up a lot of fear around the way someone might respond. And sometimes we're right. And sometimes we're completely wrong about how they respond. But you can't do anything with the information until you have it. So you have to actually, you know, have those conversations or take those steps to actually move past the fear of the unknown and actually start learning it, having it be known so that you can actually respond to it and deal with it. Right. Start the learning, start the experience. Yep, exactly. I think that's really, really good advice. Um, so a lot of the work that you're doing then is this, it's, it's, it's helping the women untangle from the men. And then it's, then there's the whole other section, right? Other, you know, it, it, then you move into forming the relationship with the female partner, right? I mean, which is, is that, is that the easy stuff? Like, would you find that once that happens, it's like everyone's, everything's easy or? No, <laughs> I wish I could say that, but I mean, there's something about the, the intensity of the love and the connection that really do help um, get through some of the most challenging of situations. But, you know, even once you're, okay, we're divorced, we're separated, you and I are going to move into our own house now, life's going to be great. You know, you're still starting a lifestyle that you've never been living and you're now still grieving the loss of, you know, a marriage you thought might have been forever. You're now in a different kind of dynamic of a relationship. You you probably have to share your kids to some capacity that you never expected. And if you're the other woman, you know, you all of a sudden are kind of parenting kids that you didn't have prior. And that's a dynamic where you're this, you know, a step parent and that can be challenging. So there it's it's still a lot of you know navigating the unknown, right? New territory. And it's not all perfect just because you untangled the old life. I mean, I always say that that first year of being separated and being divorced, you know, where you kind of have your first holidays and your first birthdays and all those first experiences, then when they first happen, they're really painful because all you're thinking about is how it used to be. Whereas once you get that one year under your belt and you start making new memories of how you do it now, you can look fondly back on those memories instead. And so that first year is really about kind of creating new traditions, new memories, doing things the way you had always wanted with this partner who now loves the things that you love you know, whatever it is for you. But I do think it's, it is, it's growing pains. I mean, it really is. It's still challenging. And lots of times you might see that in that first transition into your new life together, that you're now kind of a little bit on edge with each other at times, because you don't have to be so careful anymore. Now that, you know, at the beginning, you're very careful and patient with each other because of the divorce or because of, all the other external factors that are going on, not being sure who to tell, how the parents will react. So you're very kind of gentle with each other about, you know, being patient or what you need. And I think at some point, though, voicing your needs is absolutely mandatory. You cannot have a healthy relationship without your needs being met. And I think there are times where that brings up some conflict because you both were living a very different lifestyle before and you may have different ideas about how life should be lived now that you're together and how things should be done. So you have to have those, you know, challenging conversations. That's why I really, I really recommend honestly, at least for the first three years that uh, a couple like this be in counseling because I mean, I think everybody should be pretty much forever, but that's just my personal views. But I think really when it comes to the kinds of transitions and challenges, you need support for, how to get through things. And when you're in it, it's like that whole, you can't see the forest for the trees. It is so hard just to, to see what's going on when you're in the thick of it. And so you really do need that outside perspective. It's so, um, you know, and in some ways, um, because the early part of the relationship was all about untangling from the husband, whereas 
you just get two single women who meet and start dating from a clean slate. Um, in some ways, you know, there are some things that maybe would be obvious from the start with those two single women, as opposed to things that you may not even realize might be issues in the relationship because you were so busy untangling from the husband. And now all of a sudden it's like, whoa, um, having to deal with, you know, early relationship stuff all, all over again at, at the point when you're already kind of married. Um, I, or maybe I'm just projecting. It seems like that. It sounds. No, I, I, I do think that's a huge piece. You know, I, I mean, it is a different dynamic. You're not fully untangled. So you are, you know each other insanely well, but you still have not been able to do life together yet. So it's, I mean, it's in a sense the same as when any couple first moves in together where you're learning a lot about each other. And I think you just feel a little bit more pressure for it to be perfect in a sense, not, not perfect, but you know, like not have conflict because you changed your whole lives for this. So any couple that moves in together has challenges for those first few months they live together, first few months to a year, because you're used to having your own space. You're used to doing things differently. And now all of a sudden you're doing it together and you have to kind of compromise on lots of stuff. And that's true in this case also, but you've already decided that, you know, you changed your whole life for this person. And so it has to, it has to work, right? And so you put this pressure on it and sort of look at it as bigger than a normal relationship because of that. And of course, in some ways it is, but at the same time, it isn't. It's just, these are the growing pains of any new relationship, of any relationship. You know, I never worry that the women in these cases don't really know each other at this point. I think there's a lot of, sort of the past that kind of can haunt the current relationship. And that is different. You don't know how much something's going to affect you or your partner down the line from something that happened in the, in the past. But truthfully, they do know each other really well. Um, of course you learn more and more as time goes on, but I do think it's more about those. Okay. We're going to, we're for the first time able to make decisions together and do life together. And we don't know what that's going to look like. And it's not, we're not always going to agree. It's not always going to be perfect. It's like a U-Haul on steroids. Cause there's of course the joke of what the yeah, of second aid is a U-Haul. This is like, you brought like your U-Haul and your divorce papers and like everything. It's, it's full on. Um, it's super interesting. Um, what do you think some of the biggest compromises that your clients have to make are? Um, you know, it is, it's, it's hard because looking at it from, from both sides, you know, for of course the woman that was married and has the husband and the kids, the biggest compromise is of course, like you're sharing your kids in some capacity. Will you, well, lots of women still end up with mostly full custody. Um, but the, probably the biggest compromise is when you had your children, you did not think at any point you would not be with them, you know, all the time, or you'd have to miss holidays and things like that. So you're basically choosing love over getting to be with your kids for everything they ever do. Wow. I mean, yes, as parents in general, we obviously are not actually with our children all the time, but it is a little bit more forced and we have to learn that letting go more than other parents do um, earlier on. And um, it's really hard. And it's and it can put a lot of strain on the partnership because of this person who's missing their kids. And you know that they wouldn't be missing them if they hadn't made this choice. So that puts strain on the partnership. Um, 
for the uh, you know for the other woman there's a different kind of compromise and strain. I mean, you're walking into a woman who was already raising these kids in a family dynamic that they'd created, regardless of how old the kids are. And so there's a little bit of, I, I'm secondary, or I've got to take a step back to what's already being done, while at the same time, like, this is now your family also, and you need to be able to have a voice as well. And, you know, that's been a huge challenge. That was a big challenge for us in the beginning, but just has been for me in general, because Again, unique circumstance. I mean, I was with these kids full time every day for four and a half years. And so and they were babies, you know, they were one in four. So I helped raise them just as much as my wife did. And so when we started 50-50 after four and a half years, it was a grieving process for both of us because I felt like I all of a sudden was having to share our kids too, even though they were not ever quote unquote mine to begin with. But, you know, so you end up forming, of course, these bonds with the kids or, you know, just changing your dynamic. And it is a lot to adjust to. And, you know, and just the compromise uh, to get back to a little bit of what we talked about in the beginning about sort of the sexuality pieces. You know, you're both coming into this relationship with different paths around being with women or feeling like you might have same sex tendencies and all of the, the that goes into that. And so the way that you think about life now that you're together can look very different and you have to kind of navigate that together now. So there is compromise on, you know, if you're both really strong, powerful women who are also caretakers, you know, maybe only one of you was the caretaker in the home before. So now you have to compromise on where that caretaking shows up. I mean, I remember small things, you know, we both, my wife and I both in our prior relationships kind of ran the show. That's how we used to always say it. We ra- we kept the household running. We did everything. Um, what we said kind of is what happened. Um, and so when we came together, now you have two of us that are <laughs> kind of expecting this, that to keep happening. But we also have slightly different ways of operating. So it was a challenge to say, like, hey, you're not the only one who's going to do laundry now. And I'm not the only one who's going to go grocery shopping. Like, we need to talk about how life is going to look with two strong female roles in the household and what that actually means. You know, you, you always fall into your natural tendencies of like what one person is better at than the other, which is fine. But there is more compromise outside of that. So interesting. Um, that's really uh, super interesting. I love it. I love everything you're talking about. And then, and then with the kids, uh, and, and you know, working with the family system too, right? That's a, another part of the work that you do. Yeah, yeah, I've definitely I've worked with some older children. Um, I've definitely worked with women on how to have conversations with their younger children, but I haven't worked with the children themselves. They don't usually need it when they're very young. Um, But you know, the the teens into adolescence and then young adulthood, this is a huge rock, you know, to their system. It's a huge shock. Um, And so they need support and they need to understand how to think about it. And you know, especially from age, you know, 13 to 28, maybe even, you know, we're rarely thinking about our parents as people. We're just thinking about them as parents. And so to imagine that they have feelings and thoughts and wants all their own that they might act on that may not, we might not agree is, is a hard place to be. So I definitely work with both, you know, the women as well as the, the children to kind of help bring more understanding and peace to the situation because there's a lot of, you know, teenage angst and all of that. And it's hard. It's totally different. You went from your traditional family to all of a sudden having a mom that's in love with a woman. And it can be really challenging depending on how old the kids are. For sure. Um, I, I It must be really mind-blowing for them. And then probably depending on where they live, potentially shame. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, luckily we're more and more, obviously people are at least knowing that there's like one other couple, a same sex couple in their town, even if it's a really small rural town, but you know, there's still so many places where this is not going to go over with, you know, as much ease as it might in some of the bigger cities. And, you know, one of the things that's the hardest is where you live in that kind of area, sometimes the biggest um, you know, conflict actually comes from within your family. And that's really hard when those are the people that you would need and want to have your support, have to support you more than anything. And some of these women are just being turned on because, you know, it's not right or we don't agree with it and they kind of get abandoned. And, um, you know, we'll do things like associate with the husband instead, even though it's their family. And it's really hard for those pieces. You know, the sexuality piece is still obviously not something that our entire country has embraced. And so, yeah, you have to be careful. You have to, I mean, there's definitely certain areas where it's probably not even safe to, to have this experience. So, um, so, um, you're saying that with some of your clients you've experienced where the, but the woman, her own family chooses her ex-husband and abandons her. Yep. And in fact, that is our circumstance right now as well. So I've known many women that that has happened to, or few, I shouldn't say many. And that is our circumstance now as well. As of like a year and a half ago, our uh, my wife's parents now socialize and all these other things with her ex and his wife and do not talk to my wife. Yeah, it's not um, even... I don't even have a word for how painful that would probably be. Yeah, it's it's not right and for many reasons. And, yeah, it's, it's incredibly hurtful, and it just doesn't need to happen. It doesn't make sense, you know, whether it's our case or anyone else. I mean, that's where it's – and there's so that's where there's always these layers. I always say – so there's a, a, a Greek myth um, called Sisyphus. I don't know if you know, know of it, but basically – uh, he did something. He was punished because he was being so sort of like, I can, I'm so, I can take on anything. And basically his punishment was to roll this giant boulder up a hill. And a second he would get it to the top, it would fall back down. So he'd have to do it again. So he basically spent his whole life, like eternity, was rolling this boulder up the hill because it would fall down every time. And I always sort of liken this to in every kind of big change of heart experience, everyone kind of has their boulder. And it's their thing that, doesn't really ever go away, even though as you are in a different season or your kids are growing, you know, you always, everybody has a different piece though, that has been the hardest for them. You know, I have a client who she has adult children and they were not, they would not speak to her at all for over a year when, the, when she chose to leave their father for a woman. And, um, it wasn't because she left her, their father for a woman. It was because she left their father at all. Um, and I've worked now with the children as well as this, you know, the women and they've made a lot of progress. Two of her three children are speaking with her and, you know, more than speaking. Um, but that's always going to be her boulder is sort of working with that dynamic and how angry they were and her, you know, the way her ex sort of doesn't support them having a relationship with her and all those pieces, you know, everybody just has a different boulder. Um, you know, it's really, really unique, but I, and I again think that's why you have to have support somewhere. It's why I started the community that I have, because even though we all have our differences, there's so much similarity in each of these uh, experiences that you really feel like, Oh my God, there, we are, we are kind of going through the same thing. And so you, while you have your difference, you still feel so much more connection to the women that have also gone through these kind of experiences. I love it. This has been it's such incredible advice. So one one last question because I don't want I want to be mindful of your time. But um, let's just say you know there's a lot of fear. I, I, I 
I found in the lesbian community um, for dating women who have a long history with men. I mean, I dated men until I was 23, but the minute I came out, I was out. Not everyone's so cut and dry. Um, I, I always say that I'm not even in the least bit bisexual. Um, <laughs> but not everyone's like me. Um, right. And there's a lot of fear around that. And I think sometimes I always tell women that sometimes the fear is unfounded and like you talked about, you never wanting to miss out on the opportunity to find your soulmate in whatever form that might take. Um, for lesbians who like women, if that, for, if that, if your soulmate is bisexual and she can legitimately be the partner you always dreamed of, um, are you going to reject her just because she's bisexual? You know, that's an important question, I think. But what advice do you have for women, um, who, like for queer women that are starting a relationship with, uh, a female who has a history, uh, with men? You know, I mean, I really do think that it's more about don't don't say no to a woman that has been with a man or only been with men, because if you're feeling that connection with them, it's probably genuine. And, you know, that whole concept of is it a phase? I mean, I just don't think that matters if you're talking about the relationship. Like why if you're the only woman they're ever with, but you're the last person they're with, who the hell cares who they were with before? Um, you know, in that sense. So kind of, I always encourage people to keep your mind open to the connection rather than the past, the history. Um, I do think the biggest thing with that is that if you're a woman who has been dating women for m- more time, that you've already sort of experienced the, the way that things change and how you use your language that way. My girlfriend, you know, my whatever, however you feel comfortable, um, which a lot of these women, it's always been a man and it's been a husband or not even a husband, but just a man. And so there's a, like a little bit of a, you know, the growing pains around also just being a part of the LGBT community and needing to use the language. And, and, you know, and it's a little bit of both encouragement and also, sort of saying like you you've got to be using this language in the sense of like I remember early on when my wife first started um, a job and she works in a corporate setting nine to five um, and I, I remember she told me this and I don't remember why and it, she thought it was kind of funny and I remember being annoyed but she um, her boss the head of the company basically he was a male an older male made a comment about oh blah 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 I'm sure your husband has this or does this or something. And she said, Oh, I don't, I don't have, a, I have a, I have an ex-husband and she kind of laughed. And I thought to myself, so you rather tell him that you have an ex-husband than saying, Oh no, I have a wife or a fiance. I forget. I don't think we were married yet. And I remember thinking that that was more comfortable for her to mention, like I have an ex-husband than at that point to say she had a female partner. Um, and that's just a really small, tiny example, but sort of of where, you know, there needs to be kind of a little bit of work around using the, like, what is appropriate, like how you should speak up about this, using this context, because it is their first time. And I, I'm i sure things can be actually offensive, but I'm sure they also come off as sometimes offensive without meaning to be. And so it's a little bit of being the educator, I think, around a same-sex relationship, if you are a woman who's already been in that and already had those experiences. Yeah, I mean, the part of it is the education and how you want to be treated as a partner, of course. And if you want to be treated as, you know, um, you know, I, I need you telling people about me. I need to not be in the shadows, of course. But I think that a bigger issue is, are they going to get left? You know, the, the, when you brought up the question of, is it a phase? You know, is it? Um, you know, I, I know that it can't, no one person has the answer, but do you think that's a fair question at all? I mean, I do. Of course, people think that. I just, 
I don't know where that shows up. I mean, I have not seen it show up where it's like, at least, I mean, I'll say two things. So I have never seen it show up where it's, okay, I want, I'm in a relationship with you. You're the first woman I've ever been with, but I'm really into you and I love you or whatever. And we're together. And then like midway through that relationship say, you know what? I was actually wrong. I really do want to be with men. I've actually never seen that happen. I'm not saying it doesn't. I'm sure it does, but I think it's probably actually pretty rare. Um, I think if you fall in love with somebody and you're really into that person to the level at which you say you are, that you're pretty invested in that relationship. Um, that might be different than ending the relationship because the relationship didn't work. And then maybe yes, dating men again. I don't know what to say about that. That can happen. I'm sure. Uh, but I don't think that's the same as sort of leaving someone for uh, the up, the opposite sex again, which I have I, seen, but I think you bring up a point that maybe it had more to do with something missing in the relationship yes. than it really had to do with, uh, the man that they, yeah, I, I agree. I think that's probably more the case there. I mean, I'll say in the population I work with, I would imagine more of the fear, depending on how early on this starts is, are you going to stay with your husband because it's the easy, comfortable life you've known rather than flip your head, flip your life on its head to be with me. You know, that's more instead of like, is it a man? It's more of like, is it the conventional life that you're finding more comfortable? And I have I have talked with women who have met a woman that they feel really strongly about and they, they they're pretty sure they love her and they're married and they think I can't do this. Like, I just cannot uproot my kids lives and divorce my husband no matter what. And I've 90 percent of the time seen this where then they come back later and say, okay, I thought I could pretend I could just go back to my regular life and be fine. But now that I know that she's out there and she exists and I had that connection, I actually can't just go back to my old life. But I'm sure there are cases where some women actually do. And I can't speak on obviously if they actually are happy or not. I can't imagine that they really would be, but that's not for me to really judge. But, um, but you had brought up, I remember one in one of our first conversations, it was the question of, it, it really wasn't about her. It's just, do I even have the right to make this change? Right. You know, a woman who has kids, you know, maybe it's, she's feeling like it's not really about her and her happiness. Um, And there's of course like a very different kind of, there are two camps. I think a lot when it comes to divorce, when there's children involved and there's, you know, lots of writing and lots of now that shows that, you know, staying together for the kids. I don't want to miss it. It's just not, you got cut off and I don't want to miss it. Oops, um, so you said there was lots of writing. <laughs> yeah. So I'm saying there's lots of research and writing at this point around the concept of sort of staying together for the kids being crap, basically like your kids can tell <clears throat> there's not, um, it, it just, it's not a positive role model and an example of a healthy relationship. If you're staying together and you're not really happy or fulfilled, you're showing your kids that like a lackluster partnership is what they should be striving for. And there's a lot of research that supports that. And so, you know, then there's other people that say, no, you could, you, you said forever, you have to commit to this and see it through maybe when your children are much older, but no, that's not your job is to be caretaking for them. And therefore you put your own needs to the back burner. I personally think that that's crap because I just don't think that there's any parent that can be effective when they're miserable. Like you're just not, you're not the best version of yourself 
And you're not going to be the most, you know, the best parent then if you are not happy and fulfilled. And I've seen this in countless children of these families that I've worked with where they've, they even comment on mom's happier now. You know, they just, they see it. And sure, dad may not be for a while. I don't doubt that dad is not happier in the beginning because this wasn't his choice and it wasn't what he wanted. But dad will be happier because dad will find someone who loves him the way that, you know, she loves her female partner. And I think that that's really important. And, you know, I mean, it is hard. Then there's four parents and there's three women and it's complicated. But truthfully, I think the goal is to say, you know, it is about moving forward with that and, and saying we want everyone to be happy that staying together for the kids isn't really a feasible option unless you're like the best magician ever and can just hide all of your emotions, which, you know, most people aren't. Yeah. It sounds like a lot to juggle. Um, so <laughs> big change of heart community, super lucky to have you there um, with your wisdom, with your experience, with your stories. It sounds like, you know, you said there isn't a guidebook for this, um, you know, this question of we don't know how to do this. Um, but it sounds as if you're really here amassing a great deal of knowledge and experience um, and collective wisdom. So good for you. <laughs> And thank you for all the work that you're doing. Um, where can people find you? Where is the best place, you know, to find you, to find your work, social media links, websites? Where, where do you recommend people? Where do they go? Sure, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, if you are feeling like you are in the big change of heart camp, as I say, um, you know, bigchangeofheart.com, there's all, there's a, a link to the community. We have a live show that I did at the sea. It was one season, I think was last summer. So hopefully I'll be doing some more this summer. Um, there's a podcast, the big change of heart podcast. Um, those are all bigchangeofheart.com, either forward slash community, forward slash podcast, but they're all linked up there. You can just go to the website. You can also get in touch with me there. Um, but if you're also looking for one-on-one -on -one services with me, which again, I will say I work with anyone. It's not just women in the big change of heart space. Um, but I certainly, you know, I've worked with men. I've worked with women in heterosexual relationships. I, I, I do all of that certainly, but my focus is on women that are now with women and have been with men in the past. Um, but drjanelle.com is where my individual, um, services and, and contact is. So I also, I share, you know, I, I write a lot, as I mentioned, so I share articles and things like that on my Dr. Janelle Facebook page, which is just Dr. Janelle, you can search. Um, and then I use Instagram actually to share sort of my big change of heart journey right now. You know, people know at this point, we're six years into this. And what does life look like now? So I share, you know, I try to do at least a post a day to kind of give a little bit of what's going on in our world, our neck of the wood. And, you know, for us right now, we're, we're co-parenting and all of that. But that's, uh, it's a little bit of an insight into what life looks like for us now that we're married and, and doing this whole damn thing. Awesome. And is there anything you're working on right now that you're excited about? Um, any, like any projects that you're excited about that you want to share that we can look out for? You know, I'm always writing on Scary Mommy, which is one of my most favorite platforms. So I'm, I love that. I've got, I'll have a new article coming out soon for them. I'm, you know, kind of always on there, but I'll also say that the, uh, Big Change of Heart live show, like I mentioned, will come back in on the spring and summer. And then, um, recently, and this is, you know, for the state of Massachusetts, but just a fun thing to mention, which is that I am a justice of the peace now, and I specifically, um, work with, uh, same sex couples, 
second and remarriages and blending families for weddings. So I can really help non-traditional love stories celebrate. So I'm really excited to be doing that and starting my first wedding season. I love it. I love officiating weddings. I've done four of them. Aren't they the best? It's like the most fun thing. I'm very excited. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing better. I didn't know that you did that. There's nothing better than celebrating the happiest day of someone's life. It's, it's absolutely. Oh, I'm so excited for you to start that. It is so much fun. Good for you. Um, Dr. Nell, this has been such an informative, amazing conversation. And I'm going to have links below with all of the, um, all of the social media and websites that you mentioned. So I'm so grateful for your time. Great. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And I look forward to talking again soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. And now I'd love to hear from you. We covered a lot of things in this episode, but I'm curious. What of the many things was the most impactful for you? Email me and let me know at jordana at womenwantingwomen.com. Let me know your biggest takeaway. I personally read all of my emails and I'm looking forward to hearing from you. And don't forget to head over to womenwantingwomen.com to sign up for my email list to become a Jordana Michelle Insider. When you do, you'll get instant access to an email training series I created to help you get on your game to attracting your soulmate. Plus, you'll get exclusive content and special giveaways and some personal updates from me that I don't share anywhere else. And if you're interested in finding your soulmate so you could be best friends and learn and grow together and share your dreams together and have adventures together and have amazing sex together, then there are tons of free resources for you on womenwantingwomen.com, including a guide to quickly and easily eliminating rejection from your life, a class on the number one thing you can do to end your loneliness if you're single, a quiz to find out what qualities the woman of your dreams will find most attractive about you when you meet her a quick guide to the five biggest mistakes most women make when coming out, and a free matchmaking survey that any queer-identified female can fill out so I can keep you in mind when I'm meeting and working with the amazing women I constantly connect with through the work that I do in our community. I'm always trying to set people up, and I might know the perfect match for you. So go find my survey and tell me about yourself so that I can help. All of this is free on my website at womenwantingwomen.com. Go check it out for yourself and share it with any other LGBTQ women that could benefit from what I'm offering there. Until next time, don't forget that hot lesbians are everywhere, that love is real, and that the woman of your dreams is on her way into your life in perfect timing. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next time on Women Wanting Women.